this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. From the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Monday, December 5th, 2022. Yes, to our broadcast, I have everything going on here. As usual, you know I don't trust computers. That is why I have everything going on. I have Safety FM app. And if you're listening to us live, you are on safetyfm.com. Broadcast. That's why I have the app on in the background. Make sure that we are broadcasting. I don't trust machines. Right? We, I think we've all seen the safety sign in most of the uh, workplaces that I've been in. Right? This machine is stupid. Dangerous. So, we've got a lot going on. Uh, last uh, week, we had a couple of family functions I had to attend, and uh, we could not be on the air. Probably going to be broadcasting uh, next week from a remote location deep in the woods. Got a lot going on today. I wanted to hit this one right off bat, and it's not that I have a disagreement; just a slightly different. Friend of this program, uh, Sam Goodman, he's on uh, the Hopner podcast. He had a very good podcast, and he raised some very good uh, issues here. Just, I have notes on the computer. I am trying to get them up here. All right. Specifically, it was on safety meetings, right? So uh, we have a little bit of a different format we're trying out here. If I have something very interesting to say rather than mundane, uh, you know, some of the things I've been accused of are mundane things, but safety is never mundane for me. I love doing it. All right, I love doing it. I love working in it. I love managing it. I love it. Uh, So last week we had Mercury and... We were talking about mercury, methylene, chloride, and we're going to talk about that again uh, this week along with silicosis uh, because those are what are in the news. Uh, So uh, what do we have here? Sam was talking about safety meetings and how a lot of organizations require safety meetings. I mean, your organization might. Most of the organizations I work with require some type of a safety meeting maybe once a week, some of them once a month. So some of the bigger Fortune 100 companies I've worked with, Fortune 500 companies I've worked with, right, they have an all-hands safety meeting every month, and they're conveying all different kinds of information to you and everything else. And uh, some of the smaller companies I've been with, they require a safety meeting every uh, week. Uh, no, once a week. They'll pick a week, and it's, no, like, we talk about that ritualistic behavior so much here where rituals are very important in conveying information and things of that nature. 
Now, so you go for the month, you know, for the whole month. Now, with the bigger organizations, they beat you up. And then with the smaller organization, you've done this bad and shameful and blame the employee, blame the employee, blame the employee. So we're going to talk about how I run safety meetings. I'm not going to lie to you folks. I have an annual safety meeting program that I put out for my customers. And every week they get a new safety meeting relevant to the work that they're doing. Or it may be in response to an incident that happened or a new thing, new technology, things of that nature. This is what I try to do. We find out what the regulation, right? Basically, what does the regulation say? And it's like, well, you're going to say, well, regulations require that. Well, first thing you have to do, OSHA has out a document, very extensive document, that lists all of the OSHA training that you need to have. It's there's something like 127 different trainings uh, that we that is required by OSHA, right? Depending on what you're doing, and you need to find out where you are in that regulation. So, for example, if you find out that you are in uh, in uh, 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 in construction, right? You go out and you look under the 1926 regulations and you find out in 1926.21, safety and health regulations for construction. And you go down and there's a, uh, a employer responsibility part of this and their general requirements. I'll just read it, read parts of it. The secretary shall establish and supervise programs for the education and training of employers and employees in the recognition and avoidance and prevention of unsafe conditions in the employment set by the act. And the employer has a responsibility. The employer shall avail himself. This has to be updated, right? The employer shall avail himself of the safety and health training programs the secretary provides. The employer shall, shall, that means he had got to do it, right? Instruct each employee in the recognition and avoidance of unsafe conditions and regulations applicable to his work environment to control or eliminate any ha any hazards or other exposures and illnesses. Employees required to handle or use poisons, caustics, or other harmful substances shall be instructed regarding the safe handling, use, and be aware of potential hazards, personal hygiene, and personal protective measures required. And... Job site areas where harmful plants or animals are present, employees who may be exposed, blah, blah, blah. What? And it goes on and on and on and on. What is it? You got to make sure you got training. Now, this is usually where, and you go into the 1910, the general industry ones, same thing. Every one of these things requires some type of training. And if you have over 100 different training programs, right, something like that, and uh, we'll look it up during one of the breaks, how many there are. If you have all these trainings, there is not one training class that's going to cover all of it. So what are you forced to do? If you're an employer, if you want to go buy the book, you have, you have 52, 52 weeks a year. You have one training session a week. And we're not talking 45 minute long training session, an hour long. Sometimes some working environments that might be Appropriate. For example, if you're going to be working with explosives, for example, 
You're going to be working with highly hazardous materials. You may have to do, hey, we're going to have a safety meeting once a week for an hour. We're going to talk about what we're doing or before an activity, we're going to have a safety meeting, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to talk about this. In the construction world, you could go over to the 30, you, no, what I, this is what I like when I hear from contractors. Oh yeah, my people are all trained, Jimmy. Oh, really? What training did I got? And can I see the documentation? They're all 30-hour uh, uh, trained, 30-hour outreach trained. Well, and I said, well, you know, 30-hour 30 30 hour outreach training is good. I know, I, I supply it. I give the training. I said, however, something you need to know is that that's just an awareness course. You're not actually training anybody because every one of those training classes is different. It has to be tailor-made to the people that you're dealing with what their education level is, what they're doing, all this other stuff. It's every one of these, and there's electives that sometimes you're not gonna cover and things that you are gonna cover. So you're always gonna cover respiratory protection. You're always gonna cover, uh, not always respiratory, but that's a bad example. You're always gonna cover fall protection, walking and working services. You're always going to cover PPE. You're always gonna cover whatever the, whatever they tell you to do, you cover. That's what it is. I'm doing a class next week, as a matter of fact. But what do, what's the point? Training is required. No employer is going to be able to train all of their employees on everything at one training class. So what do you have? We have what I do is, okay, what areas do you need to be trained in? We do an assessment. How is this assessment done? I look at the safety plan. I look at the activities. I do some interviews of some persons in charge. Do some interviews of some employees. Hey, what do you, would you like to hear about in the training? And any type of safety meeting, go to them. They know where the hazards are. They're gonna know where maybe where they need to fill it in. If you're dealing with a sincere person who's willing to go along with what you're asking, that's how you assess what your needs are. This way you make it in interesting to them. So for example, uh, let's say you're on a, on a uh, hazardous waste site is, okay, let's go there. Okay, so on uh, not so much an emergency response, let's say you're doing an ongoing removal action. It's gonna be take years out there. What companies will do is they'll go and they'll say, and, and they'll go and they'll divide up phases of work. And on this phase of work, these are what the hazards are. On this phase of work, this is what the hazards are. On this phase of work, this is what the hazards are. And then you break down the hazards and then you find out, hey, you're doing safety auditing, you're watching work, maybe, you know, God forbid there's an incident. Now you do a safety meeting on that incident. Oh, well, this is what happened. And you make it a positive thing. Look, this is what happened. This is a near miss. Thank God nobody got hurt. But let's try, and I hate to say this, try harder. But okay, maybe we need to, rather than say that, hey, this is what we know what, what, what went wrong. This is what we found out. Uh, you know, we're going to change the way things, we're doing things here. You're not going to blame the employee because I tell you what, you start blaming the employee in front of all of their coworkers, you're going to have a problem. No one's going to want to go to that uh, safety meeting. So 
I do an assessment. I find out what topics we need, what we need to talk about, and we give them little things at a time. Because then once you get into a program and it's ahead of time what the program is, guess what happens? Now it's relevant to what they're doing because you've figured out what they need, what they say that they need, what they're interested in. And sometimes, you know, uh, where we've had, uh, uh, no, we have the, well, you know what? Frank over there, I always say the word name Frank. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't think I've ever worked with someone closely named Frank, but hey, Frank over there goes, maybe that's why I choose the name because it's safe. Frank is, is an expert on rigging. So Frank wants to talk to us about rigging today. Hey, Frank, why don't we do that? Now you're involving other people and you're coming in and you're helping them. That's what you need to do. Help, hey, now, hey, and Frank might be a leader in the area. You may also try going out where you have a new employee right out of college, right out of grad school. Uh, maybe a new employee from uh, a different company, a different world. Hey, now, what's your thought? What, what are some of the new technologies that are out there? What are some of the things coming up regulatory-wise? What are some of the things that, you know, you learned that we may not, we can learn from each other. Now you have a partnership going in there where you're learning from each other. As I said in a comment uh, a couple of weeks ago to one of my customers where we were having a uh, personnel issue with one of the contract personnel, I said, you know, none of us has a monopoly here on experience. None of us has a monopoly on knowledge. So what does that mean? We tried to learn and improve from each other. We have a learning team here. We talk to each other, like Brent Sutton would say. Now, another thing that you need, once you have a your topics chosen for your safety meeting, right? Now you can do research. You prepare for that safety meeting. You go out there and you say, hey, today we're going to talk about whatever, carbon monoxide. Let's talk about it. Now you're going to say what type of hazards are associated with carbon monoxide and what activities that we're doing could produce it. What's the primary exposure route for carbon monoxide? Uh, you know, is it an inhalation, uh, injection, right? Contact, ingestion. It's going to be inhalation. Injection, yeah, I could see that happening in some cases, but that's not really likely. But, right. What respiratory protection is required to prevent a CO exposure? What are our, what are we doing with that? Well, as we know with CO, it's going to be mostly a monitoring situation. And then what kind of, uh, uh, once you get over the PEL, right? You, what do you do? Well, you start generating more ventilation. You go through the hierarchy of controls. And then you end up, if you can't do anything with that, you end up in supplied air of some sort. Uh, if a worker is potentially, uh, the problem is with pure CO, you don't smell it. When you smell it in the exhaust, that's from other things in there, other impurities, right? So you end up in supplied air. And there is no cartridge that I'm aware of, at least, that would be able to filter that out, even on an emergency basis, right? If a worker is potentially exposed to CO or has their personal CO meter alarm, what actions and notifications are required if you have a requirement for a CO monitor? In that case, you would take that CO monitor, bring it over to a reader of some sort, 
which is usually what the personal uh, CO monitor is at, and you figure out what happened and you evacuate the work area and you make reports and everything else, hey, you might have a CO issue here. And uh, what location or areas, what, no, uh, are we required to have CO monitors in and everything else? That would be, now we're in there. We're making it relevant to the person. You're making it exciting. The last thing you want to do is this. What is the primary exposure route for carbon monoxide? You don't want to be doing that. You want to be organized. Right? And the thing is, you want to be able to take questions from people. All right, I've run these safety meetings from anywhere from a crew of two people or three people up to like 70 people. And this is what we end up doing. Another thing you can do, number three, what can you do to make this safety meeting more enjoyable? You have it at the, at a, at the same time every week, every, same time every day, same time every month. So they know the second Tuesday of the month, you're going to have uh, all hands safety meeting. They know at 7 a.m. in the morning, you're going to have your little toolbox talk. You're, you're going to know, they're going to know at uh, uh, whatever, and you start it on time. Always start it on time because I tell you what, the worst thing that production wants is to have a safety meeting eating into production time. So it can, if you're doing a sa daily safety meeting, okay, five minutes, you sit down with the safety meeting, you go and you do it, all right? Five minutes, okay, nobody's going to complain about that. Usually that's when guys are, and women for that matter, right, are and they're having their morning coffee. Okay, we're going to have coffee, we're going to have this, we're going to have that, and we're going to do that. If you have a longer safety meeting, I've been on jobs where they had a complete spread in the morning. Breakfast sandwiches for everybody and donuts and bagels. Uh, now, what's a bagel? Uh, it's like a boiled bread, and then they put it into an oven and they bake it. Now, the fourth thing that you want to do is this. You want to, uh, according to OSHA, right? this is what, they, what the reality is. If that meeting is not recorded on a sign-in sheet at a minimum with what the agenda was and maybe some other talking points or notes that are associated once you get going and you're talking to people in the meeting, if you do not have that documented, it never happened. I'm sorry, folks. That's the way it is. If it, whether it's dealing with an inspection, whether it's dealing with uh, 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 an inspection, a audit, a, anything, if it ain't in writing and you don't have something in writing, it never happened. So this is what I do. I have safety meetings documented. Now you're going to say this. Okay, now Jim, let, let's bring it all together now. We're going to bring it all together. You keep those on file. Because this is what has happened multiple times, especially de dealing with litigation or attorneys. My client did not receive any instruction on X, Y, and Z, whatever it was, whatever the made-up the blame game uh, that uh, gets played, whatever it is, right? Whatever. Oh, my! Uh, and this happened to me uh, uh, like a year ago. My employee never received training on. Rigging. So, contractor, well, I wasn't in charge of the training, but he submitted the uh, sign-in sheets to me. I said, well, here's the sign-in sheet all on rigging and everything that was discussed. Oh, how about the eight-hour uh, eight refresher for Hazwaffer? 
And if Haswhopper you think is a new sandwich at Burger King, you got a problem. Hazardous waste operations and emergency response. I have clients that cannot afford to take the whole company out uh, for an eight-hour workday and do uh, safety training for the eight-hour refresher. So what do they do? They say, we're going to have the eight-hour refresher. We're going to do a one-hour, 12 months a year, one hour a month, 12 hours, document it, and everybody will have, by the end of that 12 months, or eight-hour refresher done. And they cover all of the Hazwaffer topics. We can do it remotely. We can do it uh, in person. We can do it uh, 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 anybody who's qualified at the company to give the training can do that and everything else. Well, guess what? That's how some companies do that. Let's say you're in a third-party auditing system or third-party evaluator of your safety plans. For example, IS NetWorld. So you enter in your data on IS NetWorld. By the way, we can help you get into IS NetWorld and get your plans approved. You type it in. For IS Network, blah, 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 blah. Okay, this is what we're doing. We are an industrial painting contractor, for example. All right, industrial painting contractor, they're probably going to say you need anywhere from 30 to 36 different programs in your health and safety program. Now you have to verify either on a one-year or a three-year schedule that everybody at your company has had or at least certain of persons in charge on the appropriate people have gotten training in that area. 36. Okay, are you are you going to send the whole company out for 36 training sessions per year or every three years? A company is not going to do that. Not going to happen. I'm sorry, ain't going to happen. So what ha- what do we do? Generate 36 training sessions 52 weeks a year you pick one a week guess what you're done at the end of 36 weeks everybody has had that thing and guess what you're good now when is network or some other auditor comes and says uh mr Pozel, did uh you folks go out and do safety training with everybody yeah as a matter of fact we did here's our 30 hour OSHA outreach training uh, cards. We got a whole roster here. We got it on a a Excel spreadsheet or in an app or, you know, there's multiple apps, but, you know, uh, my clients like using spreadsheets. That's fine. Okay, here is the spreadsheet. It says this. Here is uh, for 30 hour. We got everybody forklift training. By, By the way, I do that too. Forklift training. We got the full one-day class. Everybody who needs it, we got the full one-day class for fork uh, for uh, boom lift and scissor lift training. We got the, this. And by the way, those thirty-six topics that we cover, we also do for ACPR. Hey, those thirty-six topics, thirty-two topics. We have a sign-in sheet that says that everybody got training on that. Oh, and by the way, now with the smartphone technology, we not only have that, we also audio record every session. Oh, now? Okay, very good. Now you fulfilled your 1926.21 employer responsibilities stuff. Now, uh, after eight hours of training, or you could do not only eight hours of training, 
you could do 16 half-hour trainings on the Hazwopper standard a year. Right, half an hour safety meeting, we're going to talk about Hazwopper. Guess what happens? Now you have that. Now you're able to document that. Doesn't impact operations. It's relevant to what you're doing. And because you audited everybody and you talked to the worker, found out what the worker did, guess what? Now you're good. Now, how do you change things? We have, everyone remembers this, uh, it's our one of our most uh, commented on presentations, is uh, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. All right? In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Anyway, okay, where were we? Okay, so we remember one of our most requested requested is the Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, Safety Wars. So what what do we what's one of the things? You wanna you have a group and you're gonna find out what works and what doesn't work. What works and what doesn't work for your group. And what could work? Uh, uh, what's the uh, point? And something, if your group likes doing something, keep doing it. Right, it's right out of rules for radicals. The other thing is, if you do something long enough, sometimes it becomes a drag. Now, the last thing you want to hear if you're going to be out here, oh, uh, you want to hear out here, is if someone says, oh, man, not another confined space entry safety training. Not another one. Man, he can... This is why if you plan things out over the long term, right? Uh, if you plan, plan this out over the long term, right, we're talking over the year, you're not going to repeat topics unless it's absolutely necessary. This is, no, Jay Allen, and he's a, absolutely 100% correct, talks about marketing safety. Believe me, marketing safety. Now you're going to say, well, okay, this is a great way to market safety and to have yourself shine is to have a safety meeting. All right, let's pull no punches here. All right, this is not all about me, 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 the safety guy giving the safety training, no. But you want to set yourself up as an expert, as someone who could talk, you could talk to, 
someone who's willing to learn from other people, someone who's able to get feedback from other people and everything else with this. So you're, if you're up there, you're marketing safety. How's that? You go up there, hey, uh, yeah, and you get the uh, and you get the workforce behind you, get management behind you. You're marketing yourself. Hey, this is what I can do. Blah 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 blah. And consequently, I'm gonna I'll pull this as an aside. This may be totally inappropriate, but I'll say this again. If you're interested in love in the workplace, I don't recommend it, but that does happen. You go up there in front of somebody and show you have some personal authority. Your your chances are your romantic life will improve. Assuming you're single, all right? I can tell you that from, you know, personal uh, experience with that. Not since I'm married, though. I always make sure I tell everybody I'm married, but first thing. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but anyway. When you go out there and you set yourself in your marketing safety, you're showing leadership ability, you're doing all that stuff, that's a major positive for what you're doing, for everything that you're doing. You're showing leadership, you're building leadership, you're doing all that other stuff. And we talk about leadership a lot on our safety trainings also. And this is the kind of stuff that you need to get to. Sam is right. Sam is phenomenally correct with this. You go to some of these places and who the hell wants to hear you go up there and B-I-T-C-H. I think I spelled it right. Who wants to hear you? Well, Frank, you did this wrong. And Charlie, you did this wrong. And Nick, you did this wrong. And you, you did this and this. And these are audit refining. We have to go up there. We got to improve our audits, blah, 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 blah. And then before you know it, at like at one facility I'm at, everybody's required to do safety audits every day. And guess what? 98% of the time, there's nothing wrong. And then they're like, well, these are useless. Well, look at the way you're acting. I won't, uh, uh, no, one of my friends, John, he's uh, agreed to come on this program. We'll see if we get him on here. Uh, he said to me, Jimmy, I, you know, he says, I was passing by his house the other day. And uh, I said, I give him a call. I said, and we're talking. And he says, Jimmy, you're not going to uh, believe that, man. Remember that beast thing from a couple years ago? I said, yeah. He said, they blame my worker, this one facility in New Jersey, blame my worker, and they talk. And I said, I know, I heard about it every week at their sale. Make sure, B, you have bees. Okay, great. The guy got stung by a bee. He had a, a allergic reaction. He had an EpiPen with him. He shot himself up with whatever's in the EpiPen, and he got, uh, and he was okay. It turned out to be an OSHA recordable. Okay, because an incident happened at work and you had a prescription administered, ended up being OSHA recordable. Nobody argued that. All right, that happens. All right. Every day, every safety meeting for a year, we had to hear about this. Every week. Right? It was nutty. So, one, they blamed the worker. The worker did not assess their work area. I said, you know, there was another way you could have argued this too. You could have been, you could have, uh, oh, and this just came across. Uh, apparently there's a report that Kirstie Alley has passed away. Sorry for the distraction. I said, look, 30, uh, I said, you know, 
there's another argument here. The argument is, is that they didn't supply you with a safe work area. That it wasn't assessed by the client. They said, well, you know, we would have gotten thrown out of that. And so we got harassed for a year. And I said, yeah, and you had, uh, yeah, and it, went, and it blamed the, now, who the hell wants to hear that for a year? That's a problem. And Sam is 100% correct on there. No, this safety meeting is supposed to be positive. It's not supposed to be a bitch session all the time. However, sometimes it turns into that. And you being the safety professional officiating this meeting have got to learn how to handle that, right? I shared the uh, story where uh, uh, we had this guy named John not the John I just was talking about, one of my best friends, but this other John who was a shop steward. He came at the meeting and he started making all these suggestions and ranting and raving. It was over 100% hand protection or we had to wear gloves on the side 100% of the time. And we weren't going to talk anybody out of that. And word on the street was the next person that talked about this, and I heard this from the project manager, that asked to get away from gloves is going to get fired. That's what the word on the street is. So he's up there in front of 75 people, 70 people, whatever it was. It wasn't 70 or 75. It was around that. Says, okay, when are you, Jimmy? When are you? And he starts banging the table. When are you going to do something about this here? You know, uh, stop, blah, blah, blah. Right? And he's getting all uh, antsy. I said, I said, you know, John, I said, you know, you're right. And this was the music that was going through my head. But I didn't let him in on it. I said, John, you know, you have a great, uh, you have a great way of arguing, a great way about you. You're very passionate about this. You have some very good points and everything else. I said, I tell you what, can we take this outside the meeting and I tell you what, we're going to go up to the project manager's office and the safety manager's office, and you can argue your point. And he says, uh, 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 no, uh, uh, I said, John, you're really good. Let's go up there and argue your point. Because I knew, again, we're on the street. Next person that argues this is going to get fired, get thrown off the project because they were getting these art complaints every day. And, uh, well, guess what? Turned it around on him. So that's why you don't confront during the safety meeting. Whether you're the official safety professional and you call people out, or if you're the other guy in the audience calling out the safety professional and management. Because it could be turned around on you. So you try to make all of these meetings very congenial, very nice, very right, anything else. So, uh, no... Listen to Sam's podcast, The Hop Nerd, right? Available on the Safety FM network and wherever your podcasts are available. Phenomenal discussion he had today on uh, safety meetings. Uh, I'm not disagreeing with him. I'm just expanding on it a little bit here. Uh, great guy, phenomenal guy. No, but uh, but no. In his world, the manufacturing world, I've been at dozens of manufacturing plants over the last 30 years and that's what you get you get safety meetings that are not effective and they're run and they're ineffective they're pointless 
their bitch sessions, their complaints, their this, their, their anything but safety. So I hope some of my discussion might give you a little bit more of an insight and help you go and have a more effective safety meeting on that. And if you do it consistently, it becomes ritual. And as we all know, ritual is the first uh, form of communication we have, according to uh, anthropologists. And it's one of the first, and it's one of the most effective ways of uh, communicating information is that. And remember, it's training. It's all training. Uh, it's not it's more or less education. Education is you're conveying information. You have to do that sometimes. Training is you're imparting on some type of a skill. And that's all I'm going to say on that. And uh, I'll release this exclusively on our podcast platform, Safety Wars. And we're going to come back at you in a minute. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. Uh, let me, I didn't really uh, give him a uh, plug here, right, uh, for his podcast, but he has out a phenomenal book out there. And one of them is 10 Ideas to Make Safety Suck Less. Absolutely, 100% go and get the book. It's phenomenal. Uh, he also has another book, Safety Sucks, and another manifesto called Safety Sucks, and Reflections on what, uh, what WTFRM, Reflections on what, it, what is Meaningful to Workplace Safety. Right, he has something else uh, obscured, which is an autobiography by him. Uh, it's absolutely a phenomenal autobiography. So, anyway, uh, great guy. Follow him on the Hop Nerd uh, podcast. We're gonna go back to our normal stuff and news and views. Where you have, we're at a roughly forty-two minutes after the hour. All right, I gotta update this software screen i gotta refresh it every so often otherwise the timing is all the way fouled up we're gonna talk about some war news because there's some uh right so i'm looking at some of the mainstream news outlets here and they reported on uh that ukraine was behind explosions that rocked two air bases deep inside russia and killed three military personnel According to Moscow, the blast had sites um, uh, hundreds of miles from the border between the two countries were the result of a Ukrainian drone attack, not a missile attack. Now, what I found out was, according to press reports, the United States has put more or less a governor on uh, 
no, uh, literally not a governor, but a uh, 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 a limit on how far the missiles can go, right? So to prevent uh, them to being used, uh, 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 prevent them from being used offensively deep within Russia, right? So they don't want an escalation of that. They want short uh, range missions, uh, so short range missiles. But what they're doing is. Uh, they're sending in apparently drones of some sort. Or so, now, what is not in a lot of the news is that these were uh, allegedly nuclear-capable uh, uh, aircraft on here, which, uh, which you know, uh, a lot of uh, the disaster in the prep world is starting to freak out over. A huge story here is this. In North Carolina, a power outage leaves 33,000 without electricity after a substation attack. So either criminals or terrorists went out and shot up a couple of substations. Now, in 2012, there was a similar attack out in uh, southern San Jose, California at the Metcalf uh, uh, substation. The reason why I know the area was I worked right down the street from it when I worked over at uh, Pratt & Whitney UTC in San Jose with another listener of ours here who will go by the name of Lori Y. Uh, and what we, uh, what, what ended up happening was uh, what the idea is, is that you knock out, you don't do, or the, the power system is very vulnerable in this country. I'm not sharing anything that's not a, that's a national secret here. There are all different ways to take out a community and the power system is one of them. EM pulse, we've heard of electromagnetic pulse, but general vandalism and shooting things up just as, no, for a local area is just as effective. Also, if uh, I've heard of people getting home invaded, and what do they do in the middle of the woods? They cut the power to the uh, uh, house, that sort of thing. This is, this is a big deal, guys. This is a huge freaking deal because now this happened it's a low-cost way of doing things, right? Very low-cost to impact these substations. And they're saying gunfire here, but it could be any number of ways this could happen. And guess what? Now you have 33,000 people without power. What kind of stress is that going to put on the system, the emergency response system, the public health system, and all the other systems, number one? And number two is... Now you got people freaked out. What are you going to do? You're going to have an issue here, guys, eventually. Here's another one. I, I have to get music for the creepy stories here because this is creepy. Students uncover under-death surveillance devices designed to track them, right? So this was at a Northeastern University's Interdisciplinary Science and Engineering Complex right, where they found the students' tracking devices that would track them underneath the desk that would log into their smartphone to do, like, an attendance thing. That's creepy. My question is, what the hell next? They're going to put cameras under desks? Really? Unbelievable. Energy groups sue Biden administration for failing to hold oil, gas, and lease sales again, 
right? So President Biden should stop buttressing up dictators while suppressing domestic production, the head of an energy group said. No, and the energy group, what groups were the Western Energy Alliance and Petroleum Association, Wyoming, their acronym is PAW. Uh, and basically, mineral leases aren't being sold. Uh, I don't know. Last week, there was a report that mineral leases were sold. So I don't know how up to date uh, the story is. And as we know, that, and this was out of a legitimate news outlet. I've read this by a couple of them. I don't know how they're related. But basically, uh, one of the ongoing arguments is that we have a reduction in capacity of oil supplies here in this country, in the United States, which is causing the oil prices to rise and the cut in production overseas, including the war in Ukraine. Now, I I remember that. that you know, as everybody here knows on the air, I've been listening to, uh, what do you call it? Talk radio. I've been following the news. I'm one of those guys that before the internet used to read three or four newspapers a day, right? Including the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. So uh, I remember certain things that people seem to forget here. And this is one of them, right? New Jersey could have the first law in the U.S. requiring adults to wear a bike helmet. So back in the early to mid-90s, we had three politicians that decided to extend uh, to require children to wear bike helmets. I forget all the details. My kids wear bike helmets. I wear bike helmets. If it weren't for bike helmet, I would probably be dead right now. And the bike helmets, uh, uh, what do you think they did, these politicians in New Jersey? This is a, a, no, this is a classic Jersey move. Classic. They went out and bought stock in a helmet company, and then they mandated children wear helmets. Right? So now they got the profit from it. Right? Classic New Jersey move. Anywhere else, it would be insider trading, but it's legal for a politician to do. So, New Jersey is extending the ritual of wearing a helmet while riding a bicycle or a scooter. Now, the big thing is these scooters, all right? You, got, you know, you go into New York City, you go around any big city, even a my, no, suburb out here in the Northeast, they're out there riding scooters, no helmets. Really? So, here we have Assemblyman Reginald Atkins, he's a Democrat from Union County, New, from Union, New Jersey, Union County, New Jersey, I imagine, right? Proposed his legislation uh, after a minor scooter crash involving his wife and daughter. I hope that, uh, I hope they uh, had, uh, uh, you know, they are recover. I don't want to see anybody hurt. Believe me, I don't, you know, there's only a couple of people I would want to see hurt. Uh, well, maybe not a couple, but anyway. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Don't email me. All right. Don't complain. I heard a thump. This is a quote. I heard a thump and I looked back. It was my daughter and wife. They were on the ground. They had gashes on their knees and their feet. If it had been on their head, we would have had a serious problem. Absolutely. I tell you what, TBIs, real serious here. So here are some background further down. It was 30 years ago in 1992. Uh, New Jersey became the first U.S. state to enact a mandatory helmet law for children under the age of 14. It was expanded in 1998 to include roller skates, inline skates, and skateboards. And in 2005, 
to include children under the age of 17, and in 2011 to include scooters. So, uh, basically, wear your helmet, man. Uh, and the other thing is this. If your helmet was involved in a crash, it ain't any good anymore. Okay. We're going to go into this. Okay. The real ID deadline. There's another. Now you're going to say, well, the obvious helmet safety. How does this? After 9-11, they were really pushing for ID uh, and for years, a real ID, right? Meaning your identification and your state-issued identification has to meet certain requirements. They were pushing that real hot and heavy for years. They finally got it passed. And now they're having another delay in enforcement. The Homeland, uh, Homeland uh, Security said Monday will extend the real ID enforcement date by 24 months to May 17, 2025, the previous enforcement date was May 3rd, 2023. So we all went out, right, especially some of the states in the Northeast where they've been dragging their feet, and they all went out, everybody rushing the DMV, right, in a panic situation that they cannot travel, blah, 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 blah. And now they delayed it again. Really? So the Real ID Act, here you go. Here's some history. It was passed in 2005. Right? And it still hasn't been. In, wow, that's great. Wonderful. Our financials, let's end up with that. Dow Jones Industrial down slightly, 33,947. SP 500 down slightly, 13998. The NASDAQ is down, 11,239. Russell 2000, 181822. 10 year Treasury note is up uh, to 3.5. And let's see, oil, crude oil, right, is up slightly today, 77.61, but two weeks ago was over 90. I guess that's a good trend. Bitcoin is up again, 17.035. And people are screaming, you know, Bitcoin's going to sink and sink and sink. Well, I don't know. They've been saying that about a lot of stuff for my entire life, right? And it hasn't happened yet. We'll see how this goes. Gold is at 1779.40. Silver, 22.51. It's up. Wow. Platinum at 220. Palladium. I'm sorry. Platinum at 1016 and palladium at 1919. All right. So the only one that was down was platinum. Okay. So let's go to over to some funny things. We'll end on a funny note. Uh, where is that funny story? Smart toilet can spot warning signs for bowel diseases by listening to you pass gas. This is a story out of Nashville, Tennessee from the Georgia Institute of Technology. They developed a sensor that comes a device that comes with a sensor that picks up the sounds of users as they poop or the noise of them passing gas. The device is linked to an AI intelligence system that classifies bowel movements. In tests, it identified signs of cholera and other chronic diseases, offering hope of treatment starting at the earliest opportunities before symptoms even appear. I guess that's better than going out there and having a person do this, right? 
The hope is that this sensor, this is called a Maya Gatlin, an aerospace engineer from Georgia Tech, and the hope is that this sensor, which is small in footprint and non-invasive in approach, could be deployed to areas where cholera outbreaks are a persistent risk. The computer neural network looks for subtle changes in the noise made when someone defecates, urinates, or passes gas. The team collects hours of audio and video samples from healthy and unwell patients to establish the formula. Ay, caramba. So now we have, they're monitoring students in a classroom with the creepy under-desk devices, right? Pinging off their cell phone. And now... They have, they're listening in to your gas. Unbelievable. <laughs> no. As a famous radio talk show host used to say, it's sick out there and it's getting sicker. Another study. Researchers tag mosquitoes with DNA barcodes, opening the door to tracking a virus spread. So, this is what they're doing, right? This is a team from Colorado State. Colorado State. Colorado State. And Colorado State sounds like a steakhouse, right? Colorado State has now introduced a harmless edible DNA particles that can help uh, scientists research mosquito-borne illness diseases in a whole new way. So, they're able to go and... uh, uh, They're able to go and inject... Uh, or not inject, uh, but uh, infect mosquitoes with his DNA. It's edible, and they're able to track mosquitoes and viruses and everything else. That sounds pretty freaking cool, man. You know? Eating just over two cups of grapes may prevent sunburns and skin cancer. This is from Fresno from the California Table Grape Commission, Right? And they found that people who ate two and a quarter cups of grapes every day for two weeks displayed more resistance to damage from ultraviolet light light to the skin. I'm questioning, and I think my wife is questioning, does that also apply to, what does that translate into to wine? I don't know. Or grape jelly. I have no idea. So that's what we got for tonight. We'll be coming back at you tomorrow here on Safety Wars. And... I have a safe day, and if you have a safety meeting tomorrow, take our uh, advice here, right? See you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.